Hello and welcome to Touching the Sunrise podcast. I am Sister Catherine Herms, author of Surviving Depression, A Catholic Approach, and Reclaim Regret, How God Heals Life's Disappointments, and Spiritual Guide in the Heartwork Program, which specializes in helping people walk the road of spiritual growth and inner healing. For the past 10 years, I have been walking alongside wonderful women and men who want a more heart-centered and spiritual life, but would like support along the way, through online programs, groups, and one-on-one spiritual guidance. I walk with people along a contemplative and healing path, one that has been trodden for thousands of years. Basically, I'm here to help you surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit, who has come to make your being the throne of the Holy Trinity, so that your life, your prayer, your relationships, your dreams and goals will most deeply satisfy the desires of your heart. You can find out more about me and what God has led me to do in the world by visiting my website, touchingthesunrise.com. Welcome to our fifth presentation on Midlife Learnings. I'm Sister Catherine James Herms, and I'm here with my friend, Jeanette. Hi there, Sister. Glad to be back. And I love these conversations, and I'm almost sorry to see them coming to an end. I am sorry. Yeah, it's been fun. Before we start, though, today with our fifth learning for those middle years, and we're talking about a good span of life, just not a midlife crisis, but those 20, 25 years that span across that arc of our middle era of life. We talked about four learnings. So first we spoke about having to get lost really in order to find ourselves. Our second learning was being attentive to pockets of possibility, almost leaning into what's possible, leaning into what is bringing about, what is being brought about by God um, in our lives. And the third learning um, followed that. To keep going forward, you have to stop at a certain point looking back. I know I look back a lot, um, not necessarily um, thinking about the past, but we're brought back through temptation sometimes and just um, the feelings that come up again and again that were the feelings we had before. They're bent feelings many times. They're um, regrets. They're sad feelings. They're what I call them bruised feelings, bruised attitudes, bruised um, viewpoints, ways of looking at the world, at who we are, at who God is that we used to have. But as we lean into the pockets of possibility in our lives now, to keep going forward, we have to stop at a certain point looking back. Last time, we had a wonderful conversation about generosity. And so the fourth learning was to expect grace and generosity of spirit in yourself and in others. So here we are at our fifth conversation and our fifth midlife learning. Leave the door open into the unknown. Leave the door open 
into the unknown. And I am going to jump in here, sister, because I am so excited about this. To me, this is the most exciting of all our learnings. Um, it's, a, it's a little like I associate it with the feeling that one has at Advent of knowing that there's something beautiful and wonderful and it's right around the corner. And of course, with Advent, we know what that is. In life, not so much, but it's a similar feeling of anticipation that I feel at midlife. And I think part of it has to do with giving up the illusion of control. And I say that very specifically, that we have this illusion that we're in charge of our lives and of the world around us and of people around us. And as we get older and wiser, we find that we're not in charge of much of anything at all. I know that when I was younger, I thought I could map out my future. I knew exactly where I was going, how I was getting there, and when I was getting there. I even had milestones. I thought that when I turned 30, I'd have written a bestseller and I'd have my PhD. And the day of my 30th birthday, and I remember this oh so well, I just lay on the carpet and moaned. I didn't have a bestseller. I didn't have a PhD. My life was over. I was such a failure. Can, can I interject right Please. here? <laughs> I never heard that story from you, Jeanette. I remember in my early 30s, walking through the library at the university where I studied and noticing some woman my age who had written seven bestsellers. <laughs> and I was saying, like, where have I been? <laughs> So yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's just amazing. Isn't it true? It's so true. Isn't and it's, it true? It's so true that, first of all, we set up these false things that are often unattainable or unrealistic. Um, there are just too many things that play into, just for one example, writing a bestseller, that it's out, out of your control. You can write and write and write and never write a bestseller. So that's out of your control. PhD, you know, you have to deal with, with applying to the right schools, with finding financial aid, with getting through the program, with finding a dissertation topic. There's just so much to, that goes into it. But when I was like 25 or 26, pfft, that didn't matter. I was going to conquer all that because I, I was, after all, me. Um, and I really thought I had things under control until that fateful day of my 30th birthday when, as I say, I literally lay face down on the carpet and spent most of the day moaning in pain. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what I've learned, not just from that, although that's the most dramatic of, of all the instances, but sometimes I've, I've learned it's painfully, is that we don't map it out all like that. Life happens. There is too much in the world that has nothing to do with our control. There are weather events. There are social events. There are um, academic events. There are just all these things that um, are jostling for putting us in a certain place that we may not have chosen to be or putting us in a better place than we would have found. So some of it's good and some of it's bad, and some of it, if we're very blessed, is fantastic. But we have no control over external things. The only thing that we can control is our reactions to them. So I'll give you an example of that. Um, after my friend Sherry died, I bought a very small cottage in a very small cottage community thinking it would stay that way. That was my first mistake because you can't expect the world to be static. 
Um, two of the cottages across from me are being demolished and much, much larger homes built in their place. Um, my other neighbor and I call them the McMansions. I was so distressed and so angry about it. And I just went, I, I couldn't look over there. I would scuttle in and out of my cottage. I would try not to think about it. And, and not, not thinking about it made me think about it all the more and how, how unsuitable it was and how those people just had no respect for anybody else. And they were selfish and they were and just on and on and on for days. And then I suddenly realized that I wasn't hurting those people across the way. The only person I was hating, hurting with all this was me. The owners didn't care how I felt. So I could go ahead feeling miserable for the next how many years, or I could realign my thinking and my reaction. At some point, you have to find some peace. And that maybe it is, is what this is all about for me. Perhaps it's all about finding peace finding peace with past mistakes and our regrets over them, finding peace with our families, finding peace with what we've achieved or failed to achieve in our careers. And then, and this is the great bit, after you've found that peace with your past and your present, you can find peace with looking at tomorrow, at next month, at next year, at the next decade, and not knowing what happened, might happen in it and being fine with that. That's amazing. Um, I love that cottage story. Our family has had a very similar story, except for we were the ones that moved out and um, uh, someone bought, a developer bought the area or bought the, the property there and is building the same type of um, structure on that building, on that property. So um, I can and imagine what the neighbors are right? thinking. Now you know. I'm <laughs> really, really, you. really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it, it, that's a beautiful, I never thought about it that way, how um, life doesn't stay the same. Areas don't stay the same. People don't stay the same. We don't stay the same. And right. through that arc of the middle area of our life, we really begin to see that. I think in the earlier years, we're building up a life. So it's, mm -hmm. we're, and that's appropriate. We're building a career. We're building a family. We're building our dreams, whatever they may be. So there is a certain amount, not of being static, but of um, creating something, you know, that's at least stable somewhat. Mm -hmm. It's through those middle years that we discover that um, it's not stable. Right. And um, there's so many factors that change it. I love the way you put that. It's making me think that we can talk about, for example, keys to peace, maybe three keys to peace in this um, uh, conversation. And to me, the first key to peace would be awakening. Um, first of all, this transition between the eras of our life, the, the young adult arc, the middle ages, the middle era, the middle years, um, and that late adulthood, the transitions that keep happening over and over again in different areas of our life, they really overlap. I think um, some of the stories that we have told um, through these five conversations exemplify that there is no one midlife crisis. In fact, 
in their literature, they're pretty clear there is no midlife crisis, but somehow that has taken on the imagination <laughs> of the American people, and we think that there is one midlife crisis. But these transitions, these um, ways that we modify who we've been and who we are becoming, they overlap, they come and they go, and they affect different areas of our life, different aspects. One transition may be about relationships. One may be about um, the stability of where we live. Um, another may be about something really internal, attitudes, um, dreams, hopes, whatever it may be, a career. So those transitions are happening and they cause us over and over again, they call us over and over again to wake up, to be aware, to awaken to what is happening, to begin to see, to be awakened to this new energy that we're beginning to feel within ourselves, almost as if, I kind of put it this way, um, I felt like I've been attached to one source of energy mm -hmm. um, up till that middle time of my life. And at this time, I feel like I've been detached, disconnected, and I'm being reconnected to a different source of energy. But it's not clear-cut. It's not real easy to understand. Yeah, I think that one of the things that, that makes this a tricky time of life, and I really use that word advisedly, is that we don't have... We've got, we've got all this baggage, so to speak, that we've carried with us. And some of it's wonderful and some of it we should, probably should have lost. But we're, here we are in this new railroad station and we have to figure out what of this baggage we're going to take on the next train, but we don't know where the next train is going. So there's that kind of disconnect where, where all right, you know, I want to be ready for this. I want to prepare myself for this. But how do you prepare yourself for the unknown? Mm -hmm. We don't know where the train is going. Um, that brings me to think about the second key to peace, which is acting on the vision. And I'm wondering, how can that be a key to peace? We're acting on a vision that isn't clear. We're acting on a vision that still is in some ways unknown. But this vision we know deep inside of our hearts is a vision to a new and happier life, to a more fulfilling life, to a life that's more filled with God many times, more filled. We return to that spiritual sense that maybe we kind of set aside or lost track of or let it, let it go into second place because of of all the intensity and the demands and the responsibilities of those earlier years. So acting on the vision is also expanding the vision. It's also discovering that vision in deeper parts of ourselves. It's this opportunity to step back, to reflect, and really to be responsible for creating this vision for a new life, almost to see ourselves with new eyes, to see the world with new eyes, and to see others with new eyes, to make choices, to be with ourselves, God, and others in new ways. And I, I think I was thinking this morning at prayer 
how um, these middle years also call us one to a assumption of, of our real vocation in life. Um, that first choice of a vocation, well, I'd be married, become a religious, become a priest, be single, you know, that state in life vocation. But in our middle years, we're looking at what is that call of God? What is our place in the kingdom? With everything that's happened in our life, what is God bringing about now? And when we look at Moses, it was in his middle life that he um, really took on his vocation, his vision as the leader of the freedom of the chosen people. You know, Mary said yes at the Annunciation, but it was later beneath the cross and in the Senegal that she became the mother and the teacher and the queen of apostles, of the disciples, and she assumed her role that she would have forever in heaven, around which all of us would, would come um, as we enter into the kingdom of Christ. Um, so it's these middle years when we're beginning to see everything with new eyes and almost to walk into a new vision, to act on a new vision in our life. Yeah, I think that's true, Sister. I actually see it from a slightly different perspective, um, but I think it's true that we're still talking about vision. Um, one of the things that I think I, I mentioned is that I always wanted to be clear about my life's work. And I think that for much of my life, I have been clear about my life's work. But the vision part is almost giving one permission to say, okay, I've done that, now what? And not knowing the answer to the now what is uncomfortable, especially for those of us in Western traditions. I believe that the Buddhists do it far better than we do. But to be able to answer that now what with, I don't know, and still go forward, to me, that's maturity. And it's also the, the really exciting part of looking ahead. Because frankly, if you ever wanted to do something, the time is now. Uh, you don't want to wait until you're 112 um, when you probably won't be able to do all the things you can do now when you're in your 40s and 50s. So some people keep bucket lists, they call them, of things they want to do before they kick the bucket. Even if you don't do that, you can ask yourself what you've always said, what it is when you've always said, I want to do that, I just don't have time. And we all do that. Oh, yeah, someday I'd like to do X, Y, Z, I just don't have time. You know, someday I'll learn to play the flute, I just don't have time. Well, this is the time when you want to make time. This is when you can try it on. You're still young enough to take the trip or play the sport or create the art. Go up in a hot air balloon, discover Mexico, take a new class. You know, I, I found that in my own life, I've always taken a lot of classes and webinars and courses and things that had to do with my work. But lately, I found myself doing some that are just for fun, that are just because I want to. Um, I recently signed up for a class on the history of women in film. And it's not because it's gonna do me any good in my work, but just because it sounded like fun. Because one of the things we discover at this time of life, I think, is that it's okay to give yourself permission to do something that has no goal. 
that's just plain fun. You're doing it just for doing it, as opposed to what it's going to earn you, or who's going to notice you doing it, or how much it's going to help you. You do it just because you want to. You might not have allowed yourself to do that before, but now it's time to go for it. This really is your time. The other thing is sometimes it's easy to get stale or to get bored or jaded or short-sighted in how we see our lives, our relationships, our physical bodies, our jobs, the home in which we live, the community in which we live, the country in which we live, even the car we drive. When we start taking those things for granted because we're so near to them, we fail to see the precious role they play in the big picture of our daily lives. I have a fairly crappy little Honda as a car. I don't think much about it. Um, but when I do stop and think about it, I think how lucky I am to have a car, how fortunate I am to know how to drive, how wonderful it is that I have my own transportation. Um, instead, I could have looked at it and said, oh, I've got this crappy little Honda. It might have been tempting to seek something new, to go and look elsewhere for inspiration, when, when in reality, a lot of that is right where you are. So I think at midlife, you're able to sort of pick and choose those things to say, yeah, here are the things in my life that I really want to keep to go back to my image of the train. You know, I arrive at the station with all these suitcases. I have one train to take. I don't know where it's going. I'm sorting through the suitcases and deciding what's going to go with me on the adventure. I don't want to just leave everything there. I want to take some things. I just want to be careful about what I choose to take. Maybe all that you need is a new perspective so that you can see what lies before you with new eyes. The practice is to remember that to discover new things about yourself, your life, and your world, you don't always have to seek new landscapes. Just lift your perspective a bit and see the beauty and blessings that already lie in front of you through new eyes. And then you'll feel that gratitude welling up inside you. I think it's the difference between seeing a rainstorm as calming or just as a hindrance to your day. The rain is the same thing. It's your idea of the rain that shapes how the experience turns out. I think what you're saying leads to like the third key to peace. And that is to, making cho to make choices. Boop! I just... Um, boop, 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 boop. <laughs> I love that, Jeanette. I think that leads finally to that third key to peace, to make choices from deeper spaces. I love that line you said, I've done that, and now what? You know, I've done these things, now what's left in my life? What do I really want to do? I was also thinking this morning, I guess midlife has been on my mind after doing these <laughs> conversations. <laughs> it comes in everywhere. But I was praying with St. Paul. And I, I began to think that we can look at life as a puzzle. Or we can look at it like a mosaic. And to me, that difference is, this speaks to everything you've said, a puzzle is something that's already created Someone else has formulated it for us, given us the pieces, and we just have to put them in the right place. It's known, it's clear, it's efficient, um, and then we create a beautiful picture. Um, a mosaic, a painting, 
even a stained glass window, um, other than a painting, you're also dealing with little pieces here. Right. But you are the artist. You are the one who's creating something that at the beginning is unknown to you. You're not given a complete, already uh, created uh, goal that you're right. trying to arrive at, a, a prototype necessarily. You're the one creating that prototype through your, through your decisions. And so we can make choices to live our life like a puzzle. And then we're living it on a, uh, a shallow space, you know, of efficiency and getting things done and keeping our goals and not getting outside the lines and making sure the puzzle is straight on the edges and completely finished. Or we can make those choices from deeper spaces and all the variety of colors and, and the different shapes of all the little pieces of glass and all the little pieces of rock that are going to go into that stained glass window and into that mosaic, you know, and maybe we need a little extra glue to make things fit together and maybe the colors don't perfectly match, but in the whole, they have their place. So this last key to the future, this last key to peace as we go forward is to make our choices from those deeper spaces, from inside places. Yeah, I, and I think it's really important to, to talk about this as choices um, because even though we're looking at the unknown, we're going to continue to bring our own selves along with us into this unknown. And we're going to have to continue to live with the kind of integrity that, that is important to us and has been important to us before this. I mean, I want to go back just briefly to, to what I said before about you can't control so many things outside of yourself, but there are some things inside that you can. Um, you can see a rainstorm as calming, or you can see it as a pain in your neck because you have to go out in it and do your errands. The rain is the same. It hasn't changed. It's the way you're perceiving it, how you're shaping the experience that gives you an inner sense of well-being or of not well-being. And the delightful thing is we can do that with others. Um, and I just have one quick example. A few years ago, I went into a local cafe. It was first thing in the morning. Um, the young woman was just opening up. Um, she was late doing it. She was dropping things. As soon as she got behind the register, she was pretty surly to people. And everyone seemed to want to grab their coffee and get as far away from her as possible. And I, was, I got up to the counter with my friend Pete and um, before she could say anything to him, or before he could say anything about his order, he said to her, oh my gosh, it looks like you're having a really rough morning. I'm sorry. And just having said that in that really kind, gentle, understanding way was enough to change her demeanor, I suspect for the rest of the day, certainly for the rest of the time that we were in there. You know, you, you can help people move through some of these things even as you've learned to move through them yourselves. Um, and as I said, outside circumstances do not always involve choices, but our responses to the outside circumstances always do. And we make these, we, you know, we shoot ourselves in the foot all the time about this. We decide we're going to have a less than stellar day because we're required to do X, Y, or Z. 
All right, so vacuuming the house is not on anybody's top 10 list of things to do. But, it, so, but it's not an option. You have to vacuum your house. So is there a way you could approach the vacuuming that will make it different? Can you give yourself a reward afterward? Um, all these things can go together to really create the life and experience that you want to have. You can decide how you want your day or experience to feel, and you can make that your focal point. And the rest is essentially not in your control anyway. You'd be surprised at how quickly the universe and God will line up certain situations and interactions that are in alignment with how you want to feel once you've committed yourself to that. I love that idea of we have a choice on how we see things. Um, but it makes me think if we take that idea deeper, if we say we can see things on a surface level, the rain's in my way of having uh, an easy uh, trip out to the grocery store, or the rain is watering the flowers, um, and the rain is bringing life to the earth. There's another way in which we go deeper in midlife, and of course we couldn't leave our conversations without really looking at prayer and how prayer develops through our middle years. St. Teresa of Avila wrote um, the book of her life probably in her middle years. And in that book, she talks about um, the four ways of watering a garden. And I, I use that so much with people because it's very easy and simple to explain and to understand and to remember. Um, so there are four ways in which we could water a garden and they represent really the development of prayer throughout our life, throughout our spiritual life. So as we're looking at our middle years, we're also looking at how is our prayer developing? That's when people seek out spiritual direction, someone who can be with them along the journey in whatever way, whether it's a soul friend, as they say, um, a companion, a spiritual direction, director, whatever. So, but we can look and use this kind of as, as another key for understanding what's happening deeper within us in these middle years. So the first way of watering a garden is to go to a well, right? And to drop down a bucket, fill it with water, pull it up and it's heavy, take it, splash it over a few plants, come back, drop our bucket, get some more water, pull it up, and splash it on a few more plants. Right. And that's a lot of work. <laughs> it requires a lot of effort, and it takes a lot of time. The first way of watering our garden of prayer is very similar. It's the vocal prayer. It's the way we are taught by our mothers. Um, it's the way we learn how to, to think about God earlier in our life. As we begin the spiritual life, it's it's a deep, it's our mm, methods of meditation, how we think about scripture, um, how we kind of pursue our little search for God, um, uh, whatever it may be. So it's it's um, God is helping us, um, but we have to kind of it's a very intellectual search for God, and God is helping us even to detach ourselves, to separate ourselves 
from those elements in our life, in our relationships, in our environment, um, in our own hearts that are leading us in different directions. Um, in the ways in which God is separating us from those things, those bent and bruised elements of, of our life and our attitudes and our behavior that are causing us to be distracted from him. He's focusing us on heaven. That's, all of this is a lot of work. We do it in cooperation with God's grace, in response to God's activity, um, but it's a lot of work that we have to put in. Yeah. Um, and it's Christ who eventually completes that work. You know, Christ, I think, is in there pulling up the weeds. He's um, helping us see things about our life that it's like, oh, yeah, I don't really like the way I say those things and do those things. And, um, you know, so it's a lot of our own effort that has to go in. You can think of someone who has recently converted to the spiritual life or um, con converted to Christianity. A lot of work goes into really laying the foundation. Um, the second way of watering a garden, however, is a little easier. It's by a water wheel. So if you picture a big water wheel, mm -hmm. now there's water coming into the garden from a river or a stream or um, a waterfall, and it's coming in through a, a water wheel, which is picking up that water and is kind of spreading it out through the garden. Right. So it's a lot less work. Um, so we're getting beyond um, our own miseries. Um, we're getting beyond our struggles with serious temptation. We're getting a little bit beyond having to think through um, all of the, uh, the mysteries of our faith in order to understand them and to figure them out. Um, prayer is actually moving into stages where it's more quiet, it's more recollected. Um, we might experience an inner peace that we didn't experience before. So we still have vocal prayer, we still have meditation, but there's still these experiences that help us to see that prayer can be simpler. The um, effective part of our heart is waking up, of our soul is waking up into that union with Jesus. We experience more consolation. So our garden of the spiritual life is actually being watered more completely, more fully, um, with a lot less work on our part. The third uh, way of watering a garden, according to Teresa of Avila, is when you bring a river or stream and you bring it right into the garden and you spread out irrigation channels so that actually, after you've built those irrigation channels, you are not doing the work. So as you see this pattern, kind of reflects a pattern mm -hmm. of the development of the adult throughout life. So um, we've gone from a lot of our work and building up things. In this case, um, Christ steps in to help water the garden. And actually, Jesus does most of the work himself. It doesn't mean that prayer is really easy. Prayer can still be difficult because we have to make that difficult transition also in the spiritual life from, I, I know what I want to do. I know what I have been doing. 
I know that when I prayed this way, I felt really close to God. And God is weaning us away, as John of the Cross would say, from those um, places of consolation and joy and saying, do you love me? Right. Or do you love my consolations? So he's weaning us away from our own control and bringing us to this place where we're not in control. We move from a place of controlling, building, constructing, um, bringing things together um, to a place of receiving. Um, as we spoke of moving from a puzzle to a mosaic, we're receiving something from deeper within. And that is um, the muse, you could say, that's leading us to then create to be co-creators with God. And in the spiritual life, there's this pattern that's also going on, that's moving from controlling, from constructing, from building on our own, to receiving, in which God does a lot of the work himself. Um, we unite our miseries to the cross, our sufferings, but now we carry them willingly. Before it was, why me, and this is in my way, and I'm not going to be able to do this because that happened. Now we're able to unite ourselves to Jesus, to carry the cross with him. We find ourselves becoming even more quiet, more recollected, our prayer more simple, like Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and listened to him and listened to his teaching while Martha and ran around upset that she wasn't helping her. But we also become more like Martha. I often think of Teresa of Avila. She uh, reformed the Carmelite order, uh, made it much more contemplative, much more uh, uh, correctly attuned in harmony with the way it was founded to be. But <laughs> after she had gone through this whole process, she spent the rest of her life founding more monasteries, dealing with governments, traveling from place to place. What is that all about? When you reach um, this place in our uh, middle years and in this place of prayer where we're being watered by the grace and the gift of God's presence and love and activity, he sends us out. We become more like Martha. We're able to work in the world, at, but at the same time remain recollected in prayer. And there, there's a long time when we're kind of stuck in this and we feel like we're not progressing at all. You know, we can feel like I had these beautiful experiences of prayer, but now I feel like nothing's happening for five years. <laughs> You know, and I'm studying, I'm sp doing spiritual reading, I'm speaking to somebody, I'm praying regularly, but I'm not growing. They're, that's all part of God taking it out of our hands. Yes, you're doing those things, but that does not mean that you will see the results in the way you expect to see them. Can you just pray because you love me? Can you just give me your time and your love? and the gift of yourself. So we're learning how to detach ourselves from ourselves, detach our hearts from our own hearts, um, little by little. And we begin to see how God is working 
in our souls. Even at times when we feel nothing, we discover all of a sudden after months or years, it seems like there's like this immense amount of progress we make in a week as a result of something that we didn't do. And then it goes away again. And then it disappears. The clouds come over. That's all part of the journey. It's all part of learning how to be receptive, to be more passive, more open, and to allow God to do more of the work. So we can find ourselves, and we will find ourselves, more miserable than we did at the beginning. I, I often feel like, oh my heavens, I haven't even learned how to pray. <laughs> like, do I even know what I'm doing here? And that's all part of the process. And that also, I think, mirrors those middle years um, when we feel like, oh, I, what have I done? You know, what, what have I really accomplished here? What's really happening in my life? Um, do I have a legacy to leave behind? Uh, it's mirrored also in prayer when we, we say like, oh my gosh, like, I don't even know how to pray. And here I'm writing books on prayer and talking to people about prayer all the time and I don't even know how to pray myself. We, we, and that's, that's a good sign. That's a good sign to say, I don't know. Right. We, we walk into the unknown, which means we're walking into a place that's much bigger than us. We're walking into a relationship with a God who is vastly far superior than we are. We're walking into horizons that we have not created. And then the last, the fourth way of watering a garden is when it rains. And these, this is the highest stage, and it happens for a few moments here and there, a short time. And you've all had this experience. Um, it, you can think of times when you've watched a sunrise or a sunset or looked at a beautiful piece of art and time seemed to stand still. You know, those moments when you just seem to be taken up in the beauty around you and you felt deeper within. It's that type of thing that we're talking about, but on a much deeper level. Um, in which we kind of lose sense of time, we lose sense of ourselves, in which God almost takes us out of our senses, beyond our senses. Our mind isn't able to keep up and say, oh, I see what's happening here. You know, mm -hmm. we can't see it, we can't write it down, we can't say, oh, I know what this experience was. We just knew, we just know we were taken outside of something that we have known up to that point. This is just a simple little example um, that's always struck me. The day I graduated from uh, with my master's, it was a Catholic university, and you know, but it was small. So we were having a mass uh, the night before graduation. And the dean of the um, college was, uh, was celebrating the Mass. And he said at the very beginning, and I have been struggling for years with something um, deeply personal, and he said at the beginning in the penitential rite, um, Jesus became everything 
I can't remember the real words now. Jesus became who we are. Normally we say, but never sinned. He did not say those words. And the instant he said them, I felt like an arrow, <laughs> a burning arrow strike my heart. I almost had to sit down and I started to cry. And the words that came through my heart were, Jesus understands. And for like a couple of weeks after that, that burning was there. That changed me. It was nothing that I did. It was not like I'm some great saint and I've gone into ecstasy as we read in the lives of the saints. It was just a moment of rain when Jesus rained on my garden. He took me out and beyond my struggle. And he watered the garden in a way that transformed me, that kind of re-stamped the struggle. Um, so, you know, Teresa Avila would say, just a short time, it could be just moments, it could just be seconds. Um, when we're lost in this contemplative prayer in rejoicing, but it's a gift. A gift. Um, it's usually very short. It lasts just a few moments. But when this happens, we know that we are abiding in Christ. We have this experiential reality. You know, when we first started the first wave of guarding, I abide in Christ. I live in Christ. Christ lives in me. Here, I have experienced that Christ lives in me. And that I abide in Christ. And now I know, and now I can describe it with my own words. I don't need anybody to tell me anymore because I know. So when this happens, we know we're abiding in Christ in a way that we can't explain, but we know it is true. Mm -hmm. We also have no real memory of what happened during that time. Yes, I felt like this arrow. I felt, that's how I describe it. I felt like this yeah. burning. You know, I, I know I cried, but I, it's not like I remember exactly what Jesus told me or I have any, any intellectual sense of what happened at mm -hmm. that moment. Mm -hmm. But I know that he changed and altered the ground of my being forever. It's mm. um, so beautiful, sister. Yeah, so such a moving thing. But but I just I say it um, not to say like see look at me, but to simply say, all of us who are struggling along in these years, it happens to us. And I think one of the um, things we wanted to say and accomplish in these five conversations is if we look at the arc, as we look at the arc of development. Um, practically, the eras, eras of the stages of life, um, emotionally and spiritually, we see where we're going. We, we can let go of some things in order to open ourselves to other things. And we also may be able to say, oh, I had also a tiny experience of that. I need to hold on to that experience because it also changed me. Right. I need to go back and remember that experience. So 
St. Teresa makes clear that we never really abandon this quiet, contemplative way of prayer, of the prayer. We don't let go of the cross, but we embrace this all with humility. Even with all of this, we are unworthy, we still sin, we still struggle with temptation, we're still assaulted um, by evil, uh, the enemy trying to get at us, to get us distracted. Um, but we must never flee the light of the world, the light that we have experienced within us. We must never flee the cross of Christ. Um, we must continue to pray little by little, gradually and consistently as the Spirit directs us, whether we're praying vocal prayer, um, discursive meditation, as it's called in those early uh, stages of prayer, or simply by just abiding, resting, and reposing in our heart and our spirit with God. So that, and this is the goal, Jesus continues to work in us. Because as we have seen both in midlife and in prayer, the goal is what is God accomplishing, creating within us. So we could say the goal is just be with him. If we look at the gospel over and over, Mary at Jesus' feet, the Samaritan woman, Mary Magdalene, Mary herself, just be with him. The beauty, the excitement, the drama of those early years opens up to this great horizon in which we ultimately are able to pray, may every movement of my soul, Jesus, mirror yours. May every movement of my soul mirror yours in all things until everything within me brings honor to your name. So in every stage of our life as adults, um, we, we have given God everything, everything we know that we have at the moment we're giving it to him. When we were younger, we gave God everything with so much joy, excitement, and with all the dreams. But as the years go by and Jesus, like the Samaritan woman, meets us at the well of our life, we discover that there is so much more that we can give him, so much more to receive, to relish, to share. Over the years, we learn simply to be with him, and we allow him over and over again to, to point out those weeds, point out those, uh, those uh, temptations, point out those bent attitudes, as I would call them, those bruised ways of being, or in the light of the Samaritan woman, the husbands that we have tucked away. And to point all that out so that we gradually do switch to this new source of energy. So to keep walking forward, we do have to say no to going back. And really, we want to say no. Why would we want to go back after all of this? Um, so there's a great horizon that we're opening up ourselves to the horizon of that late middle years and which we haven't even talked about um and also knowing knowing that it's easier to know you can step into the unknown and step yes. into something you don't understand because you know you're not going to be alone 
yeah jesus is there holding your hand will be with you for every step of that way yes 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 and i'll i'll end here with a little um uh, words from our founder who founded us he says you belong to christ you each of you who are listening belong to christ to him alone so penetrate into him, you know, enter into him as much as possible um, into his thoughts, into Jesus' perfect adoration of the Father, into his praise of the Father, into the way he acts, his attitudes, into his way of loving, speaking, acting, um, to the point where when people look at you, at me, at Jeanette, they won't see you, me, or Jeanette. They will say, I have seen God. I have seen Jesus Christ. So thank you so much for being with us on this journey. I, I love being able to reflect for um, uh, an extended period of time on a topic. And also to reflect with you, Jeanette, I think you bring so much to the conversation. Well, thank you, sister. It's been a, certainly an interesting journey from the first to the last of these. I hope we'll have many more. Great. Good. God bless you all. Know that you are in our prayers, and we hope that you're praying for us. Bye-bye now. God has amazing ways of knocking on people's hearts, awakening desires, arousing questions, provoking an unexpected spiritual fire. Remember, if you'd like some extra support and are ready to embark on a sustained spiritual journey, you can connect with me in a number of ways by going to my website, touchingthesunrise.com. So until the next time, take care of yourself. And remember that you are not alone. You are loved no matter what. And when you search within yourself, you will not only find yourself, but the throne of the Divine Trinity. You have a calling, a mission, and every gift, every grace, every moment, even every fall, mistake, and sin is a step toward your completely and wholly being taken up into the mystery of God's love for you and for all creation. Remember always that you have a treasure of inexpressible joy hidden in an earthen vessel, small and fragile. May this overflowing joy fill you and yours with its fragrance. God be with you.